Hello and welcome to the Powered by Rock podcast, where we're going to be speaking with an absolute musical legend, in my opinion. He is one of the four musicians I would put on my personal Mount Rushmore of greatest musicians of all time. A man who should really not even need an in- introduction, but he's not only a demigod of indie rock, but also a TV trivia game champion. <laughs> That's right. I'll be speaking with Tim Kasher from Cursive and the Good Life right after this. You're listening to the Powered by Rock podcast with your host, Isaac Kuhlman. The Powered by Rock podcast was created to help showcase some of the best rock musicians in the world and to pass on to future generations the rock music that has inspired rock fans around the world for decades. We want listeners to be able to hear great stories and life experiences directly from their favorite artists, as well as dig deeper into music theory and talk rock like no other show you've ever heard. This isn't about looking cool. It's about getting real and having a great time. Without further ado, let's start the show. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Powered by Rock podcast. Today, I have to pinch myself a little bit because I get to speak with one of my literal all-time favorite artists. Tim Kasser is on the show between Cursive, The Good Life, and his solo work. He's literally put out hundreds of songs that can take you on incredible emotional journeys. The God Among Men himself is here. Welcome, Tim. How's it going? Hey, hi. How are you? Good, good. Good to have you here. So, you know, it's, it's funny because I, I just mentioned that you're a trivia game champion. And uh, this was something that just kind of went to the air of maybe two weeks ago or something like that. But you were on the TV show Chain Reaction where I think yeah. you only had like one one chain wrong in the whole thing. And you guys ended up winning the, the money. It was pretty exciting. Yeah. <laughs> let me tell you. Yeah, I think I posted something on Instagram like I've never seen a brooding musician look so happy and smile so much in my life. <laughs> yeah. So that's awesome. So now, obviously, I've been listening to you guys for you specifically and all the things you've been doing for probably 20 years or so. And I don't recall a world in which Cursive wasn't one of my actual favorite bands. So to have you here is a pretty big honor for me. And the first thing I have to ask you about is your songwriting, because you get incredibly personal and intimate in so many songs that it feels like any longtime fan of your music probably feels like they know a lot about you. Does that kind of feel weird? Do you ever feel like you have to pull back some of the things or is it is you like you're just an open book and you're okay to pull back the curtains on everything? Uh, unfortunately, I do uh, hold back some stuff, uh, but it's usually a, you know it's a inner it's an inner dialogue that I'm having, uh, and I always try to avoid personal censor you know self censorship. Yeah. But sometimes it just feels necessary if it's at the um, expense of uh, of uh, hurting hurting people or uh, you know hurting if it's. A lot of the stuff I write is um, about myself, and I'm, and I can, uh, I can handle <laughs> me being yeah. hard. I can handle being hard on myself. Yeah. So um, that's no, that's no big deal. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I do have to, um, I do have to hold back here and there just because, uh, yeah, for that reason. But I think yeah. that that's there's something there's something, you know, I think ethical and proper about doing that and other writers will say you should never do that i remember yeah. you know there's like a it's kind of weird to, to attribute this to perry farrell but i think that's who i remember saying this you back in the 90s that uh that you can't you have to write with the you have to write with the assumption that your mom is not with us you know that yeah. you're like your mother is not gonna is not reading this, or your mother is not is no longer with us on on the planet, or whatever. Everyone has put it, um, and I and I get that that makes sense, um, but it, I still think there's a threshold where sometimes the stuff you could say. I mean, you just you don't need like have a like 
I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, air dirty laundry <laughs> through music yeah. and I don't, and I don't think people should, I think it's like kind of petty. Yeah. When I think it's like that law, um, or I think it was a, a Supreme court justice once said something about the law. He said like your rights to your freedom end where another person start. Right. So like you shouldn't go out and try to belittle people and, and, you know, bring them down. If like, it's, it's your point of view, right? Like you are like, and I think you, you are one of the people who probably hold this as to an even higher standard. You hold yourself to your own personal faults even more than probably faults that the other person might have had in a, you know, a relationship or, you know, a friendship or something like that, where you're like, yes, I understand. Like I probably had as much to do or more to do with this fallout than you did. I think a lot of right. Well, a lot of writing hopefully would be about examination. Yeah. And so, and that's, yeah. So by like, uh, by kind of, uh, uh, you know, like working through said examination, hopefully you're, hopefully you're learning something and then also offering that, offering what you're learning to others who are listening. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I know you did do, I think you had a a major in creative writing or English when you were in college, but did you actually have like a mentor that kind of helped you get through and, and work out your songwriting ability? Because I know some of the early stuff, like even even Commander Venus and all the stuff from like way before, like Cursive, it still was still really well written. I mean, the, the lyrics and everything were very That's, personal and very well written. Uh, I didn't really have a, I guess I didn't have a songwriting mentor, but uh, we did have our songwriting, uh, we did have our group of friends and many of us wrote songs and that yeah. that helped a lot in the sense that we were all kind of um, keeping each other in check. And, yeah. Um, well, I think is it Ben from Bright Eyes is like one of your oldest friends, right? Um. Or Corey, sorry, not Ben. Corey. No, Connor. Yeah. Connor. Jesus, yeah. man, I'm it's all okay. over the place. I'm like, why can't I think of his name for some reason? I was like, who is this Ben? I don't yeah. remember Ben in Bright Eyes. <laughs> I'm like, uh, no, that's not it. But yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we would all as the way we. The way that we often describe it is uh, that we were just kept raising the bar to one another. So um, yeah. Connor maybe would write a new batch of songs. We're like, oh my gosh, this is great. We all have to write this well now. And Ted Stevens would write a bad, you know, with Lullaby for the Working Class, or now he's with Cursive. Uh, you know, he'd write a batch of songs. We're like, oh my gosh, now we're writing at this level. And it was always yeah. just exciting. But that's helps. That wasn't really a mentor so much as, but it was. Like um, peer appreciation, yeah. Yeah, and also beyond you know, like a sounding like sounding boards, like we able yeah. to like work, work all these ideas off each other and see like, oh yeah, this work people really like, you know this you know because songs will always stick stick out, um, stand out more than others, and that helps. Uh, but yeah. in in uh, I did have um, some great professors for uh, creative writing, uh, so not for songwriting, but but I did have some, poetry and stuff. Yeah, or cre- like creative writing fiction. Yeah, um, and they helped uh, really. Uh, push me along nice so i know obviously i think everybody who, sh- who should be watching this should be familiar with you and, and kind of a, a lot of the body of work you have but not everybody's a cursive fan not everybody's heard of cursive um so i think like just if if we don't we don't have to get like the whole like it's your musical uh journey's a vast one but like just kind of get me into the, the mindset of when you first started music what was it like how did you start creating bands like commander venus and slow down virginia what what was it with that and how did you prepare from those projects to, to create like cursive and a good life and your solo work? Uh, what did it, uh, 
I had it when I first started writing. Uh, I wrote actually, you know, from the very beginning, I wrote this kind of uh, heavy, heavy, morose stuff that I've been come to be known for, I guess. Yeah. But uh, initially, I didn't feel I felt um, really self conscious about writing. You know, like what with one's heart on one's sleeve, it was just yeah. It was a lot. Um, it was difficult to um, be goofing off in, in the practice space with your teenage, you know, with your 15-year-old friends yeah. and uh, and then play this stuff that's just, like, too heavy, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so really, the way I started, a lot of it was a lot goofier. Uh, and I think that, I think it was just because it was kind of, like, uh, you know, probably self-deprecating in a way, which is something I always kind of like maintained in my music, but uh, also just, um, I just couldn't take myself very seriously because I was too scared to, because I was yeah, as a I kid. Yeah, protection and, mechanism. As a kid, I lacked confidence. And uh, yeah. so that was the bands March Hairs and Slow Down Virginia, and both of them had serious songs as well, but um, they were fewer and further between. Uh, so when we, so when I was kind of like talked, in, I was kind of coerced into starting Cursive, because there's a point in my life when I was going to, um, I was 20, and I, w I was like, okay, I need to start focusing on my career as a, you know, my college career, I guess. Um, yeah. Uh, so I was kind of coerced into doing cursive, and my feeling at the time was, okay, if I'm going to take another stab at music, I think it's time to, at the least I can do is take it seriously. Yeah. And that was like, uh, it's that sounds really easy, just to blurted out like that but it was uh it was it was an epiphany that was a really long time coming actually yeah to, to be like all right um i grant i grant you the right to take yourself seriously <laughs> and um and proceed in that direction and see how it goes so and that's that's that was a really important shift for me and now i feel like everything i i released so i everything i've released since like 1995 I can more or less say I'm proud of, and uh, yeah. it's like everything's well thought out, well, um, well vetted, well edited, you know. So, speaking of which, I mean, I think one of my favorite things about your music, and I know some of my friends' personal favorite things about your music, is that you tend to have overarching concepts for albums. So, like, not all of them are concept albums per se, but they do have like a, a concept or a kind of theme behind them. So, like. Obviously, cursive albums like Happy Hollow, Domestica, and I Am Gemini, I Am Gemini being like an, an actual play written out for music, are quite clearly related to a central plot and setting. But then you have other ones like Vitriola or Get Fixed or Mama, I'm Swollen, where it's more of like a feeling or a theme about what's reacting to the world around you. Like, how do you kind of decide when it's a good time to go for a clear concept versus, you know, kind of one of those thematic ones instead? There's been um, a few different... I guess there's been a few different versions of how, you've already, as you were just suggesting, uh, but a few times here and there, I've I've gone out for like the full concepts, and that's as you mentioned, that's like I am Gemini, Happy Hollow, uh, Good Life's album of the year. Yep. Those are help one nights to a lesser extent. Uh, those are the ones that kind of stand out to me uh, as like they were ideas that came together kind of earlier on and, and then I had to kind of craft the record uh, yeah. to fit the concept. 
Other ones uh, like Ugly Organ or Domestica or Blackout, Good Life's Blackout, uh, uh, they, uh, they, they're just so tightly themed that I kind of yeah. realized after the fact that, I, that, I, that there was a um, concept being born without really unbeknownst to me kind of yeah and so then through the and so then i can finish so then i would finish the album being like oh i see what i'm doing here this is a story about a, a troubled couple that are you know uh yeah you know, what have you and so then i get i could finish the album um to kind of bind the concept together the other versions are the ones that i consider to be non-conceptual but they're they're still very thematic and that is and stuff like Vitriola or Mama I'm Swollen, uh, yeah. uh, Novena Nocturne, Good Life. Uh, that, and that's just a matter of, well, that's just what I was thinking about a lot for like that those two years while I was working on these songs. And, yeah. And sometimes you know, as the album starts to take shape, again, I try not. I for albums like Vitriola, I try to avoid. I tried to avoid it being heavily conceptualized, but um, the more the songs that were written for it the more you start to recognize like oh well you don't want things to stick out too much you know it's like yeah. it's it's an aesthetic thing and so sure you don't want like you know a waltz sounding song and it's just randomly yeah. thrown in with like all the yeah. rest of the stuff or nor do you want a song that's like now about like a a clown that's like on a murk killing spree or something like that like, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't, yeah. like it's not going to fit with the rest of the material it's going to stand yeah. down too much you know yeah, and I obviously, I, you know, I'm, I'm following you on the, the Patreon page that you have for the home, Tim Casher's home phone, and you do actually write out, like, a lot of what you're thinking about during stuff, and you're like, here's a song that we were thinking about for, you know, Get Fixed or Rich Rollo or whatever, and this was, it just didn't make it, and you've been sitting on this recording, and I'm like, I listen to it, and I'm like, damn, that's like some really good stuff, and I can see how it doesn't quite fit, but then also has elements of things around what you were working with, so... You know, do you ever make that decision and just go, man, maybe I should have thrown that in there? Or do you, are you pretty happy with every decision you've made with each album? Uh, no, I make wrong decisions all the time. It's really, a, that's, a, that's definitely a problem. <laughs> it's something that we really come to accept is that um, I'm not, uh, you know, I said earlier that everything's well edited. And that's true as far as I feel like the music, I would like to think. Um, but as far as like, as far as the editing of, of, the compila of a compilation, you know, of an album, I, that's, that's where my tastes um, seem to differ a, a, a little too much from uh, the audience. Mm -hmm. And so it really helps to have other cooks in the kitchen at that point to kind of yeah. help guide, to help guide me and be like, oh no, Tim, this song that you have cast aside over here, this is actually everyone's favorite song. Because yeah. I'm always like, I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't, I couldn't hear it. Or I just hear it, I hear it, I hear it differently. Yeah. Um, and so I have a tendency also to pick what I think are going to be like the big, you know, like this is going to be a hit single and everyone's like, no, it's definitely not. <laughs> I think you, you said know? that about the recluse or something like that. You're like, Oh, I thought for sure. Like this song would be, and I think it, it's a fan favorite. Well, I can't remember which song it was, but it was something like that. And I'm like, yeah, that's a great song. Or maybe it was, uh, um, something off of happy hollow. I can't remember which one, but it was like, still love this song. Like, absolutely. But there's so many good songs, Tim. Like, how do we pick like, which ones uh, you, like you. You get with 15 songs with you in a show or whatever. It's like, how do you narrow that down for like 15 songs or 10 songs or 12 songs on an album? It's pretty damn tough. It, I, it's a fun process though. I like to do it. Yeah. I like to do it. Yeah. And it's funny. Cause uh, speaking of favorite songs, this actually segues great into my next question. Cause 
I want to state for the record that my personal favorite song you've ever written through all of your projects is actually What Have I Done, which is on Mama, I'm Swollen. Oh, That's the last song on there. I think it's like an awesome case study in like regret, shame, um, fear, doubt. And I have to ask, like, what was your headspace for that song? How did you come up with that song? Was it based on any like actual stuff that talks about traveling salesmen and kind of like, what have I done with my career? Is this any sort of autobiographical kind of mention? Yeah. It's uh, it's semi-autobiographical, I guess I'd say. Um, okay. I always kind of reserve the right to divulge what's what's truth and fiction, you know. But um, yeah. sometimes for a, like for a song like that, it's really not. It's not. Uh, I'm not really. I'm, I'm bearing my soul to to explain that when I was. Oh, actually, you know, when I when I turned twenty, I remember it was my twentieth birthday. Yeah. Um, I was. Uh, I was in Ann Arbor. I was on. I was selling posters um, to call. You know how the. I don't know that you're familiar with that. Can call at least back in the day. I think they still do it. Uh, like yeah. around the beginning of the semester, uh, these uh, poster these poster kiosks pop up. Yep. So yep. you can so you can uh, decorate your dorm room. Yep. You know, with like you know Scarface posters and like weed, <laughs> yeah. like weed posters and Pink yep. Floyd. I feel like that's a 90s thing. I don't know if it's still a thing, but I hope it is because those, yeah, I mean, that's. It that, may not be as popular anymore. Yeah. But yeah I, I graduated like, college in 2004. It was still around, but I lived in Eugene, Oregon, went to yeah. the University of Oregon. They lived back in the 60s. So things like that will stick around forever there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I like Eugene. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, but yeah, so I was doing that and, um, and it was a, it's just, it's one of those memories that stayed with me of like turning 20 on the road it kind of felt like that was the closest i could get i'd already done a little bit of touring with commander venus and a little yeah. bit with i guess not with cursive yet at that point or perhaps not but yeah but i wanted to be out traveling i wanted to see the world so badly and it kind of felt like that was the only version i could do was via selling posters and so it was you know that tied in with like a new decade starting and feeling like i was becoming old at the ripe old age of 20. You know? yeah i know that's the that's kind of my favorite thing because it definitely it's written from a 20 year old's perspective about like how they haven't done shit with their life. And I'm like, at 20, you really shouldn't have done anything with your life. But like, <laughs> it's such a good song because you can tell it's got like that older spirit behind it. Right. So it's not written by a 20 year old necessarily. It's written by somebody who's looking back at the age of 20 and trying to say, like, what have I done? You know, um, I don't Do you guys play that song live? Because I've seen it a couple of times. I haven't heard that song ever live. We do. It's, uh, you know, it's 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 long and it's um, and it kind of takes its toll, takes its toll a little bit. So, yeah, I we, feel like if you're going to choose, you're like, it's staying alive or that song for like the opus that you can play. And staying alive is like one of people's ever everybody's favorites. So I think it kind of wins actually, out a lot. Of actually, that's absolutely right. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 kind of like we'll have a tendency to maybe bring one out or the other. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So I think one of you have like one of the most distinctive singing voices in, in rock music, in my opinion, as well. And I know you've never really had vocal training and you kind of talk about how, you know, you're not a great singer or whatever. Like, I've never really been a great singer, but I think what your voice does is is um, it sounds like you're leaving your soul in every song. And that's what I think people appreciate, because whether you're screaming it or whispering it or just kind of talking in a song, what you're saying and the way you're saying it is exactly how it fits for that song. Do you ever like listen to your own voice and go, man, I, I wish I would have done it differently. Or what's your take on your own voice? Well, uh, one thing I think that's, uh, that everyone can relate to is that I, I, 
I don't feel great hearing my own voice. Just like we don't like hearing our voice on an answering machine or, yeah. you know. Uh, so oftentimes when I hear my vocals, I think I'll have the same thought, which is I just am really thankful that other people find <laughs> value, find merit and yeah. appreciation in this voice because it's been it's been great for me. I it's it's just surprise it just surprises me. But I think that I would hope that most vocalists feel that way. I suppose there are many vocalists out there who are just totally amazing and they kind of just recognize like, well yeah, I I understand you like my voice because my voice is perfect or something. Yeah. You know, but uh, for me I just feel really lucky that people think that this unusual voice is uh, that it works for them. I'm sure there's a lot of other people out there that agree with me. That yeah, well, I mean, it doesn't I, work for them. Yeah, I think when you're thinking of like great singers and stuff, I mean, we're not talking about singing like Steve Perry, where you're hitting high falsettos at like full yeah. belt or something like that. But you know, you do take on like falsettos. You do all sorts of stuff that, like, for somebody who hasn't, you know. I guess whatever been properly trained or whatever you want to call it. Like you do it in a way that like, I feel like you give every person a hope that you can, you can actually sing if you just give it a shot and like actually practice. I kind of like that. That's like, uh, it's like, yeah, even somebody as bad as me can sing. <laughs> you can too. Trust That's me, not you what I too. said. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Uh, I, uh, I do appreciate that. Uh, I do appreciate having, um, a, a lot of range that is nice. yeah. that's that's a nice nice feature to have to be able to, yeah. to be able to mess around with yeah so let's kind of talk about some of your work outside of cursive because i will admit i haven't i've listened to the cursive stuff way more than the, the solo stuff and the good life stuff but i still love i mean i've gone back even recently and gone back through the whole catalog because i'm just like god damn like every song is so good i'm like album of the year was like incredible um do you like ever like feel like you're ever going to run out of ideas for songs or do you think that you're, you're putting out too much do you ever like think to yourself like maybe i should hold back some stuff or is it just like like you feel good because you keep creating stuff i mean it, uh, everybody has a different opinion on this i yeah absolutely i that it absolutely feel like i mean it's kind of how i'm feeling right now is i'm starting to work on a new cursive record that's uh, right like writing lyrics it's just like well what do I sing about? What am I going to write about this time? And you can kind of get that feeling of, like you're saying, like, oh, well, maybe it, there's nothing else to say. Or, yeah. <laughs> but, but I don't, I don't usually uh, entertain those thoughts for long because the world keeps shifting. Things keep, everything keeps happening. Always new Crazy shit, to talk shit about. is always happening. Yeah. <laughs> and we're also, we also keep going through new experiences as we keep, trudging through life you know and yeah. there's always something to contemplate um, so I don't I don't really fall into that uh, that 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 hole too often because yeah. I kind of know it's I have a lot of songwriter friends who kind of go through that like I'm done I'm, I'm done writing there's no more songs it's just like <laughs> it's, it's like I've reached more, the end of the internet songs. yeah yeah right <laughs> I mean, because I've thought the same thing, too, because I, I still write and, and record and play music myself and stuff. But, you know, I'll get to a point where I'm like, have I written all the good songs that I can possibly create? Or do I still have like some left? And then I'll write a good one. I'm like, where the shit did that come from? Like, I have no idea what inspired that or whatever. But like even like that song, uh, what have I done? So like if you wrote it at 20 years old and then you wrote it at 40 years old, it'd be 
two different experiences writing about the exact same thing. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good point that I've also pondered is that with every decade you're alive, you have another decade's worth of different experience, different yeah. experiences, and you could write about the same glass of water that you wrote about when you're 30. You can write about it again when you're 40 and 50. Yeah, and, and you're going to see it differently. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So. Do you ever have a struggle of like which songs sit with which project or do you kind of just like you write for one thing at a time and then if you have stuff left over, like that's just left over and then you actually just write all new stuff for each project? Uh, I just write a record at a time for the okay. most, almost exclusively. There's sometimes yeah. there's been some shifts, some necessary shifts, but so it's not, so that's never much of a struggle to me it, in my head there is these there are these kind of obscured rules of what makes us of what makes us all a song you have like compartments for each thing or a cursive song yeah and it's like i don't know if i can always say exactly what those rules are but i kind of just know them when i'm doing it so so if i'm working on a cursive record i'm not really exploring i'm not exploring what a good life song is you know yeah Uh, cool that's good because like a lot of people you can tell like here here's a side project here's a solo album and you're like this honestly just sounds like bad batches of, of b-side songs from the, their current project but it's never right. been that way with you it's like this is clearly like tim casher's work this is clearly good life and this is clearly cursive and they i mean i don't know how you do it because they all sound individually like great and I, i've never seen one person create three acts as well as you to have so that's pretty cool oh thanks i definitely a lot of credit due to the musicians yeah who really shape the songs quite a bit yeah i mean you you work with like you know an incredibly close-knit group of friends and and, and musicians yeah. too so i think that helps a lot yeah cool so i think one of the the things i really like about your writing is that you use allegories uh to project the opposite of an intended story in a lot of ways for example you might use a bible story to show how screwed up the real world is or you might use a fairy tale to show the darkness of mankind I mean, Happy Hollow was full of them. Um, then you had like Driftwood, a fairy tale, on Ugly Organ. I can point off, you know, just a couple of examples. But do you like using common stories to entangle a listener in more complex ways to kind of get them to listen? Like you mentioned Pinocchio, and they're like, oh, what, what's that about Pinocchio? And then they kind of like hook in and then try to figure out what the hell you're actually talking about. Is that kind of what you're thinking about when you're writing the songs? I think it was, I, I think it's been inadvertent that I do that. But yeah, absolutely. I think that I'm going to kind of talk out of my ass here as I'm trying to realize what it is. I, I, I'm a big believer in, um, I'm a big believer in stereotypes, stereotypes, not yeah. as a, not as a, um, in a derogatory sense, but, uh, when you're trying to relay as much of a story or as much of an emotion or, uh, ideas you can, but you only have a very finite amount of time to do it yeah. or only like a certain set of lyrics to do it then uh, stereotypes are your best friend because you, yeah. can, you know and it doesn't have to just be stereotypes it could also be um, cultural touch touchstones yeah. so um, it can help you potentially like get a, a greater group of people all on the same page a lot faster a lot sooner um if you write a song, if you use the Tin Man as an as your example, yeah. you know, because now we all know who the Tin Man is. We know the Tin Man's problems, you know. Yeah. Uh, 
so and there's also a playfulness to it that I think I like I like I like to I think I like to use certain cultural touchstones um, to kind of yeah, and obviously growing up in Nebraska like religion is abundant I mean I grew up in North Dakota Montana and it's very similar so to be able to kind of rebel but also use it in a way that like if you're not super religious you can actually look at it and say you know this makes sense like even if you're super religious the, the meanings will mean the same but they'll just offend you right yeah i guess that's, that's <laughs> possible anyway, that's a, that's the danger for sure uh, yeah. which is something i'm willing to accept because i do think that any, even the most religious people should be still should still be questioning their faith yeah um there's not really there's not harm in that and you shouldn't believe in a god who would who will strike you down for questioning yeah. your faith i think that's a, a healthy if you're having if you're if you're living an enlightened existence, you should also be questioning everything. So Yeah. I mean, Emerson and, and Thoreau both basically said that. They were both deeply religious guys. Like, yeah. think about how you are on earth and, and think about how you will be in heaven and all this stuff. And it's like, it doesn't mean you have to question God, but still think about how you can be a good human. Right. right. Yeah. Cool. So one of the things about the show is that when I get really good musicians on, I obviously want to talk about some of the musical aspects about it because I've been playing since I was 11 and still play not nearly as good as anybody who I interview, but uh, I want to talk about timing signatures for a second because you dabble in off timing every once in a while. Um, one song being night and day from the album uh, album of the year is in three, four timing, for example. Do you ever naturally create a song in anything other than four, four timing? Because I, I have to go out of my way to specifically say, I'm going to create this in three, four timing to make it sound this way. I never naturally create anything out of four, four timing. Oh, um, yeah, maybe I'm just... Maybe I'm a little bit lucky in that regard. That um, three four is very natural to me. Um, six eight's natural to me, and that's like even before I even understood what they were. Yeah. I was writing in six eight and three four as a fifteen year old. Uh, it just didn't know. I just didn't know what sign was. Was it from like I, music you listened to, or is it just like that's kind of the natural strumming powder you had? I think I think it was just from music I listened to. Six eight's a pretty popular kind of like jangly kind of a thing yeah. you know that you get from like brit pop say or indie rock back then and or probably from now too uh but also um i love i love messing with time uh i so over the years i've i i write in five now enough that five is actually becoming a fairly natural time signature i've noticed me. that too i'm like i don't even know what time this is so i have to then break it down i'm like Okay, that's like five eight timing or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So five and seven is cool, and um, and eleven is wild. And I don't think <laughs> I've ever done anything in eleven, but I appreciate it when people do. Yeah. Awesome. So, one thing I obviously mentioned earlier was that there's kind of new things happening with the internet, and there's privatizations of fan bases going on. Obviously, through the pandemic, this has helped a lot of our artists actually be able to continue to make money, and that's stuff like doing a Patreon and stuff like that, and you've actually done a couple live streams which are quite intimate i mean you're playing live to maybe 40 50 60 maybe 100 people or whatever uh just because they're they're literally like huge fans of you um do you think like kinds of services like this are like a way to help artists survive during times of lockdown or, or do you see it like as a way to support artists ongoing i don't really know yet but uh it seems like maybe too soon to t too soon to tell, but I think that your hunch that that it might be an ongoing way that uh, to kind of uh, to support uh, artists that you like that makes sense. I mean, it kind of I I can see it 
I can see it sticking around for uh, in a, you know, yeah, inevitably. Uh, obviously, the the one cool thing about it was everybody was at home, so you're like, well, how do I play music? How do I get in front of people? How do I even get the the new stuff in my head out to the world? And when you had mentioned on on Instagram, I think it was like, hey, you know, I'm doing a live stream. I was like, oh yeah, shit, I keep forgetting about this. And then you have some incredibly deep, as you call them, deep cuts. Well, not you, but as people would call them, deep cuts that you throw on that home phone as well. So if you if you guys are listening to this and you're a fan of Cursive, go to Tim Casher's home phone, subscribe, worth every single penny. Uh, it's awesome because you'll hear like the song that you just released, I think it was yesterday or two days ago, and you're like, the demo version, if I ever put this out into the world, I would never change it because it's just that cool. I'm like, it sounded amazing. Thanks. Yeah, Thanks. cool. So now you're not just a musician either, obviously. You've done some stuff like film projects right you actually wrote and directed at least one movie i think you had another script that never got put in development but um you did create no resolution i remember on on new year's eve or new year's day you mentioned like you know new year's is one of your favorite holidays you even wrote a movie about it so um it is that it's a movie about basically a musician who struggles to define whether he's going to settle down or go back out on the road right so i feel like that is a constant struggle for a lot of you know pretty much anybody who's over 30 and a musician and they have to like decide, you know, is this a career or is this like just a hobby that I'm going to put away? Have you had to really deal with that? Like, I mean, what kind of situation or, or, or personal struggle did you have with that, that choice? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's an experience or it's a decision that I've probably had to face a handful of times in my life. Uh, yeah. but also it's a, it's a decision that I've seen so many peers, be faced with as well yeah um it's funny being i mean a musician is being a musician is kind of funny because it's uh we don't think we don't get a you know we, we get a bad rap in a lot of ways it's like it's <laughs> that we're not growing up and we're just it's just kind of a silly hobby and uh, uh and that can be tough because we all know all of us musicians know that it's like it's not a silly hobby yeah and it's then our, there's the people that are life. listening to you on spotify who are 45 and like I can't believe these guys are still making, you're listening to it. Like shut the hell up. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so yeah, the movie's kind of about that, about yeah. a guy who, uh, you know, it's like, it's kind of clear that his band's not very important and that he probably really should put it on the back burner or put it lower on his list of priorities, but he's not willing to because, um, cause it's because as all of us musicians know, that's not easy to do. That's yeah. not, it's true. It's like it's where uh, so much of your heart it pour, is poured into, you know, into this. Even if it's just a matter of the one EP that you did and the handful of local shows you did, it doesn't change. It doesn't change the fact that this is like it means yeah. so much. It means so much. I mean, it's like having a kid, right? You you grow. You try to build it to grow it and to flourish it and to nurture it, and then to say like you just are going to just let it go. That's pretty tough to do. Yeah, but the movie is also about about you know a slap in the face and like well no sometimes it's better to grow up yeah (laughs) you piece of shit (laughs) and also the the title no resolution I don't want to give any spoilers but essentially that's that's the end result is there is no resolution in the end and and you're kind of left with this like almost like oh shit feeling at the end you're just like well now what what the fuck's gonna happen now. (laughs) 
<laughs> so. We often have joked about doing a sequel to that movie, but I'm, I'm sure it never will. But if, or he's if, just if, like if, sleeping it, on a couch somewhere in like a hotel or something, lobby or yeah. something. Yeah. Our, 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 our joke sequel is that, because if you, I don't know if you even noticed, but I have like a very teensy cameo in it. Oh, yeah. I think and you're backyard where, drinking or something like that, aren't you? I give the main like protagonist and antagonist a beer. Yeah. And so the, uh, the sequel is supposed to be that he comes and moves in on he moves into my apartment and sleeps on my couch <laughs> and he's a bum yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> so obviously the movie is based on the album or did the music come first or did the uh, the project kind of come together at the same time because there is an album obviously called no resolution that um if you don't mind a little bit of a, a little short story sure uh, it, it was uh, it came together kind of uh, clumsily because there was another script. Um, I have quite a few scripts I've written over the years. So there's another script I had called Red Rover, Red Rover, that um, had been cast and it had been and it had been funded uh, and was ready to shoot um, earlier in that year, which I think this was like 2014, actually, I think. Uh, and then I had um, a squabble with the uh, producer and with the in- the producer and the investor, and the investor uh, backed out. And uh, and owned the right. He backed out with the ownership, with the rights to the script. So I no longer have the rights to that script. So we need to get a petition going, or like <laughs> do some door knocking or something to make this happen. Then, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, so anyways, that script I had um, I had already written probably like half the music for it for that one. Um, I had the rest of the year open, and so I was so fiercely set on still shooting something so I just pivoted over to no resolution and that's in and, sh- and funded it myself it was all just a react it's very reactionary yeah. to to this guy um, usurping my script yeah uh, and so I shot it in our apartment and um, I took some of those songs from Red Rover and I and I kind of re rewrote them to work better for no resolution and then finished writing and then finished writing the record kind of in tandem with the production gotcha okay yeah i think um you know there's a line from a grown man where he say i don't want a kid and i can't keep being one that's a pretty symbolic line for most of the music you make i mean do you feel like that's fair and do you still feel that way uh yeah yeah but it's, it's a good <laughs> it's a good feeling though <laughs> yeah. also i'm in a good place that i'm you know i'm 47 and i have uh you know, my wife Gwyneth is just like a great excellent person and a best friend of mine and is very um i'm a very responsible child so (laughs) she's like very um supportive of of uh of me being a responsible child (laughs) that's awesome so obviously let's talk about the tour you're on tour right now with thursday Appleseed cast a couple other side or a couple other supporting acts um, I think Jeremy Ennick is doing some stuff with you guys as well. And he was the former lead singer of Sunny Day Real Estate. This seems like one of those lineups that like rarely ever happens for indie rock. And it's, in my opinion, just completely stacked. So what's your thoughts on the tours and how did this come together? Yeah, I was so excited about it. We, uh, Thursday and Cursive were set to tour uh, for some time now. Actually, this was like all of rescheduled tour from 2020. 20, I don't know, 2021, yeah. I guess, uh, yeah. 2020. It was 2020, actually. It was supposed to be in 2020. It's ridiculous how time has yeah. kind of folded on itself. Uh, Feels like so for, so long ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then kind of 
later in the game, just like a few months ago, Appleseed and Appleseedcast and Jeremy had got posted onto it. And I was just like, it really blew my mind. I was like, that's a really a handsome looking tour. Uh, I was really <laughs> glad to have been glad to be a part of it. Yeah. So now I'm going to ask, I have no idea if this is a remotely accurate question or not. So I'm going to get your take on it. But um, I kind of made the assumption that in my lifetime, that cursive kind of now this is completely in my own head, but kind of took the reign of indie rock champions from Sunny Day Real Estate because when Sunny Day Real Estate broke up, I was like, and I wasn't like super huge into them at the time, but then like once they broke up, I started going back into the music. I'm like, holy shit, this music is so good. And then that's kind of the same time like Cursive kind of started coming up. I mean, did you guys have like any large scale influence from them or did you, was it just like a peer to peer, like you guys kind of knew of each other? Did they shape any of your music in any way? Because it's a very, very similar style, in my opinion. Yeah, they shaped it a ton. But also, Sunny Day, I'm of the opinion that Sunny Day shaped pretty much, like, so, like so much the, the majority of of that kind of post-hardcore music that was happening. Yeah. From, like, every Yeah, I mean, they back. even, I mean, even uh, Foo Fighters had two members, and, and Nate Mandel yeah. still in the band. I mean, there's ba bands like Foo Fighters where they still get influenced by Sunny Day Real Estate. Diary is one of those seminal records that shaped, that truly shifted the landscape. Yeah. Kind of, kind of like, a, like a Airplane Over the Sea, Neutral Milk Hotel, like shifted the landscape for kind of like indie folk rock. Yeah. You know? uh, that's definitely, Sunny Day Real Estate is, it's, that's like you can see like the before and after Diary came out. And yeah. can, it's palpable like how much the industry, how much the music scene changed. Yeah, like they, I created, mean, they created a scene practically. You know, it's similar to like Nirvana's Nevermind in that sense, except for it's not commercially huge, right? I mean, yeah. it's one of those like if if you know of that album, it's it's instantly you you love it, and and I don't think there's anybody who hates it because it's either you love it or you've never heard it. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I can't I can't make any like I can't make any like direct through lines from Sunny Day Real Estate to say Fall Out Boy or Panic at the Disco or My Chemical yeah. Romance. But I will say that I'm positive that those bands would not sound like they do if Sunny Day, if Sunny Day Real Estate had not existed. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. Because, like I said, in my head, it was like, I see like a linear kind of thing here and then like drop off and then cursive kind of taking over. But I could have just been in my head. I mean, I, I like to look at rock history and music history, but had no idea if like there was any connection or if like it was like, I've never heard of Sunny Day Real Estate until Jeremy was on the tour or what. We didn't really... Um we didn't know him at the time like we were just talking we were just reminiscing the other day about uh we were place we, we got to go we got to open for sunny day in about the year 2000 in providence and it was very exciting i remember standing in there at the doorway of their green room just kind of sheepishly saying hi and that i appreciated the music uh but jeremy we took kirsten took jeremy out on for a tour like in 2006 or 2007 he's a great guy yeah yeah. I mean, the fact I actually didn't know he was still making music. And then when you guys said, you know, obviously he's coming on tour, I was like, oh, shit, let me go back and look at some of this stuff. And okay. his voice is just so melodic. And it's like you can be singing about whatever. Very similar to yours in the sense. But like yours is a little bit more. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I guess rough. He's as melodic. Yours is rough. But yeah. the way that you guys sing about stuff is you sing about anything. And that voice will just transform the meaning in, in such a personal and like like emotionally soul crushing way or whatever. Like, you know, talk about your dog dying. Tim Casher or Jeremy Yannick did, did, this, did the song. You're going to cry by the end of it. I guarantee it. <laughs> so 
Yeah. So let's talk about some of the uh, the things that uh, you know. Obviously, are you you said you're working on um, a new cursive album? So is that the currently the only one of the three projects that you're working on new music for right now? Yeah, it is. Yeah. And do you know when that might be ready, or are you like just starting that? Uh, <clears throat> we've written about we've written half of it, and uh, but it's a pretty it's always a slow going process, not just you know like just the process of writing songs it takes a while i write a lot that's kind of also yeah. what the veterans about is that there's so much extra stuff that i kind of wanted to find other outlets for all the other music i have on my desk um but uh um yeah like i guess to i think i've written i guess i've written about 50 songs already and we've developed only like a small portion of those and I'd like to write probably another 50 as strange as that sounds <laughs> uh, just to make sure that you get the best stuff out of there and uh, yeah. so uh, you know I don't, it's something that we we'll probably uh, hope to release like late in 2023 okay sounds good yeah. now obviously I'll put some links to any of the, the music below uh, obviously the tour that you guys are doing uh, the home phone stuff but did you want to plug anything or, or say anything to like fans or people who might not have heard you guys yet phenomenally before we go? Uh, I guess there's just no, no, not really. There's just stuff I can't really say yet, but I do have lots of big announcements coming up in the, in, the in like the next month. So Awesome. So we'll definitely keep it, keep an eye. So make sure you're following Tim and cursive and, and everybody on, on Instagram and, and Facebook or wherever. But, you know, Tim, I want to thank you so much for your time today. It's been an awesome conversation. Like I said, it's a Thanks. true, when I put this podcast together, you know, these are the kinds of interviews I've been wanting to talk to you, uh, musicians like yourself for, for so long. So I appreciate your time. Guys, if you haven't heard of Cursive or The Good Life or Tim, go to the show notes below. Check out the music. If you are a fan, go follow him, follow the bands, and make sure that you're paying attention because, like Tim said, there's going to be some big announcements coming soon. If you like what you heard on the show, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends on social media. You can see the full video interview on our YouTube channel as well. Also, if you want to check out some of our written content or any of the products or merch that we have available, go to poweredbyrock.com to read our absolutely free rocking blog full of album reviews, interviews, and lists to keep you entertained. And find our gear as well so you can pick up some things, you know, obviously to play and look like a rock legend. That's our show for today. We'll see you soon for the next episode. Until then, rock on.